This is Worship God, a podcast of the Gospel Coalition Canada. Worship God is designed to equip worshipers and worship leaders for Christ-centered worship. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to Worship God. My name is Rob Brockman, and I am once again joined by my good friend, Jody Cross. Jody, welcome back to the podcast. Good to have you here. Thanks, Rob. I'm happy to be here with you today and our listeners. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Yeah, this is, um, we're coming back to our conversation that we started last episode on what worship leaders can learn from the example of John the Baptist. And Jody, I do think that, you know, one of the greatest temptations in our day for those who are in ministry, and honestly, if I think about it, even like in ministry in general, is to use the ministry for our own glory or fame. I even think in the New Testament how um, I think it's Paul or Peter will warn of false teachers who see godliness as a means of gain, you know, and this idea of there are those who will use godliness, use the gospel ministry as a form to try to gain things for themselves. And it's a warning to us. And it's just, you know, we were talking about this a bit earlier, Jody, but it seems like every day you log on to Facebook, we see another example of a famous pastor or worship leader who has been exposed for some kind of moral failure. And, and often they cite that it was all the sudden fame and all the sudden intention that they got um, that tempted them into greater sins. And so this is clearly a big temptation uh, that we can face, just attention, uh, a temptation that we can face, attention and fame and glory. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's not just out there. It's not just in the American church. Sorry, Americans, Canadians, uh, we, we fall, <laughs> fall prey to this too. Um, yeah. You know, the second, uh, second Corinthians chapter 11, I think we referred to this in our last episode, but second Corinthians 11, three, Paul writes, I'm afraid that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a pure, from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. And mm. just, that's a warning that, wow, we should just take that very seriously. Yeah, and that it's easy. It's easy for us, you know. Uh, I think it was Calvin who said the heart is, is the idol factory. Yeah, the human heart. And boy, if we're not careful, and you know, Scripture too has examples. Like I was reading recently in Second Chronicles thirty three, this King Manasseh, uh, he was he was um, started out very poorly, an evil king. Mm. And in verses. Two and three, it says he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He he did all of these things, things that his father Hezekiah, who was a godly king, had done. Mm-hmm. His son uh, rebuilt all this stuff, and he he worshipped the host of heaven, and he was just a write off as a king. But later on, something amazing happened in verse ten. It says uh, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. And it says, uh, therefore, the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria who captured Manasseh with hooks, literally putting a hook in his cheek or his ears or his nose and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him to Babylon. And then this wonderful turnaround verse, verse 12, when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord, his God. And listen, humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He -hmm. prayed to him and God was moved by his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And hmm. Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And this is a, a wonderful account of a man who humbled himself. And the second part of his life, 
was redeemed by the grace of God and his humility was the doorway to that. Mm -hmm. And usually we see the opposite, that someone starts out well and finishes poorly. Here's a guy who started out poorly and finished well because there was a humbling and he Mm -hmm. knew who who God was. And he was a proud man, disobedient, but this humility was a a game changer for him. Yeah, well, and it's funny that this is why the example of John the Baptist is important because it's, it's it's that pride can lead us in to, to become glory stealers like and that's the exact opposite of who the john, john the baptist was mm-hmm. like he was somebody who didn't steal glory as we talked about last week um and you have here a good example of somebody who was stealing glory and who did things his own way and who rebelled against god and then humbled himself and so, yeah, when we were talking about John the Baptist in the first episode, we talked about how we're not supposed to be people who take glory that belongs to Jesus for ourselves. John resisted that temptation to seek his own glory, to believe the hype about him. And so uh, we kind of reflected on what we shouldn't be last week, last time in the last episode, in the first episode. We shouldn't be glory stealers. That John the Baptist makes that very clear. So today we want to talk about um, what the, the example of John the Baptist teaches us about who we should be, who should we be as worship leaders, and what can we glean from John about that? So, Jody, why don't you kick us off? What does John's example teach us about who we should be as worship leaders? Mm-hmm. Yeah, John the Baptist, he's an interesting character. And even in, in the record of scripture about him, it's it's almost a humble, it's a humble Uh, writing about him. I know there's a lot there, particularly in the first and third chapter of John, but in a sense, he's, he's someone who disappears uh, and he fades away as Jesus comes on to, to the scene. Uh, Don Carson says to us just about our own identity. And this is one of the questions we looked at last week. Who are we? What do we say about ourselves? Carson writes, what is at stake is the transformation of the way that we think and bringing our minds in line with the ways and word of God, that will produce all the change in behavior that is necessary and wise, and that change will be radical. Mm. And as I think about that statement, it just reminds me of Romans 12 too, the renewal Mm. of our minds. And we are continually needing to be transformed and changed and, and reformed in our thinking about ourselves and our identity. And John's example for us gives us a number of things, and we can talk about them. The first thing that John said about himself, and I think that we need to see this as our identity, is that we're a voice for God. Mm. That's what John said, that he was just a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Uh, um, He was a voice that others would prepare their hearts for Jesus and respond to his voice. So Mm. we're just, we're a voice. Isaiah 40, verse 3, a voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Hmm. And our role is that we help people meet with Jesus, to love and adore him. We're a voice calling to people to ready themselves for the coming of the Messiah. Hmm. We're people who herald the news of Jesus and the glory of God, which Hmm. is revealed in Christ. And so we get to use these voices to speak for people to pay attention uh, to Jesus. That's Mm -hmm. that's the first thing that that comes to my mind. Second thing is that John was... uh, he was a pointer and we are signposts who point people to Jesus. Not only do we speak for God to help people's hearts prepare, but we're people who point others to Jesus. We don't point to ourselves. 
but we point people to Jesus in order that their gaze and attention, affection, their allegiance would be not to us, but to Christ. And John was someone who clearly declared that he was not the Messiah. Mm-hmm. He was not the prophet Elijah, but he was one who had come to testify about the one who was above all. Mm-hmm. And the Apostle Paul reminds me, he says, when I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, uh, but in the power of God mm-hmm. and the gifts that God gives us, the voices that we have, the musical gifts, the leadership gifts that we have are not to point to our greatness, to our power, our abilities, but to the Lord. And we need to hear this a lot, mm-hmm. that it's not about me. The platform is not about me. The leadership position is not about me. We are called simply to point people to Jesus and how we act, how we lead, how we select songs and all that we do, it is about him. It's not about me. So that we help people look to Jesus to see that he is God and that he deserves all of the worship. Uh, Rob, is there a scripture in John that that helps us just to see that it's ex- exactly what John did, that he pointed away from himself? Yeah, well, I think you have this great example early on when... Uh, John sees Jesus coming towards him and he literally tells to his disciples, he points to him, you know, and he's like, hey, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And even later, uh, that in verse 35, 37, uh, he sees Jesus. Jesus walks by and again to his disciples, he's like, hey, behold, the Lamb mm-hmm. of God. And in fact, his disciples then leave him and go and follow Jesus. So a signpost is a great Hmm. kind of Hmm. framing of that. It's like, yeah, he literally saw Christ and said, hey, look at that guy. Go follow him. He's the Mm -hmm. lamb of God, you know? I think about a sign that says uh, Florida, 700 kilometers that way. The sign doesn't exist for itself. Uh, the sign isn't paying attention or pointing attention to itself. The sign is pointing to Florida. It's directional. It is saying, mm. people look at me, but only because I want to direct your attention and your your vision and your hearts toward the destination. And right. that's, uh, that's what we need to do. Yeah, absolutely. I saw this quote um, from Thomas Goodwin the other day, and it says, God is infinitely beautiful in himself, and his beauty ought to attract you like a magnet to him. And I think that sometimes the danger when we're worship leaders and we're creating beautiful arrangements of songs and we're going to take this cool hymn that everyone knows and rearrange it and create more, make it more beautiful. And we're going to change our sanctuary and make it more aesthetically pleasing is that we can often forget potentially in that, that God himself in himself is beautiful enough. And we don't need to beautify God. We don't need to make him more beautiful. We just need to do our best, like John, to just point to God, to point to Christ and to present him as he is. And that's why I think a lot of them, the more and more I lead worship, the more and more I think that one of the more important moments in the service is that call to worship time, the beginning of the service, where we have a job at that moment to, in a brief way, Uh, But in a very unobtrusive way, just try to get people to look to Jesus. Like, hey, welcome, everybody. And let's just ponder for a second how great and how glorious the God is that we are coming to worship today. 
Because sometimes I've, what I can see sometimes is that we tend to lean on our personalities or a little humor or winsomeness to draw people in as opposed to just inviting them to look and behold and see how glorious Christ is. And I was reading this too. Um, I'm reading through again, John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life. And uh, the end of chapter two, he says this, God created me and you to live with a single, all-embracing, all-transforming passion, namely a passion to glorify God by enjoying and displaying his supreme excellence in all the spheres of life. Enjoying and displaying are both crucial. If we try to display the excellence of God without joy in it, we will display a shell of hypocrisy and create scorn and legalism. But if we claim to enjoy his excellence and do not display it for others to see and admire, we just ourselves because the mark of God enthralled joy is to overflow and expand by extending itself into the hearts of others. And I just love that because it's just kind of, that's the job of the worship leaders to be enthralled with how beautiful Jesus is and, and mm-hmm. to be, to find joy in that and to call others to do the same. And John the Baptist mm-hmm. was just a pro at that. We're just doing like what he did. Hey, look, look and see how awesome Jesus is. Uh, Jody, what else does John the Baptist teach us about who we are as, as worship leaders? John, John says that um, we're trusted friends of the bridegroom. Hmm. And as the Lord has gifted and graced people to lead Sunday morning congregational worship, to lead worship ministries, music teams, that's a real, um, it's a stewardship and a steward has to prove faithful, and a steward cannot be in it for mixed motives. And we want the bride, those who have been redeemed by Jesus, to um, to be free to express the bride's love and devotion and commitment mm. to her bridegroom. Yeah. And what an affront it is to have anybody step in the way from the affection of the bride to the bridegroom mm. and, and try to, to steal that or somehow deflect some of it away, mm-hmm. rather than... I mean, I just you just you just imagine on a human level, you know. I mean, that's that would be just abhorrent in a in a physical wedding context. Well, do you have and, do you have you ever seen those YouTube videos where it's like the best man speech or the, like the somebody's giving a speech at the wedding and it's just so cringy because they start like drawing attention away and they start telling embarrassing jokes that don't really work. Mm. And it's like, and just mm-hmm. everybody in the room is like, Oh, you're like, you're ruining this. Like this is supposed to be, you know, a time to, to look and see the bride and the bridegroom. And mm. instead you're drawing attention to yourself by being weird. You know, <laughs> it happens. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And worship leaders have the opportunity to help, as you said, direct the affection, the heart affection to the bridegroom, to direct the attention, not on ourselves, but off mm-hmm. of ourselves to, to him. And then the allegiance that Jesus is worth following. He's the, worth, the one worth giving everything to mm. and for. And you know, the Lord can grant us more responsibility. That's what the parable of the talents talk about. But he can also take it away if, hmm. if we're unfaithful, if we're mm. stealing glory, and we're, we're not being faithful stewards of that trust. Yeah then uh, the Lord will will not allow that to, to remain. Mm-hmm. Another yeah. one, I think uh, he says that um, in John chapter 1, verse 27, he is talking when they're the, uh, 
the Pharisees, the delegation is asking him who he, he is. And he said, um, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. And um, so I think we see in this that John saw himself as an unworthy servant. He saw that, you know, even the most menial, lowest task to even bathe Jesus' feet or to, to, to care for his feet. He wasn't even worthy to do that, to even touch his feet. Realizing the position that he took, the position of humility, getting back to the story of Manasseh from earlier, and the ability to understand our own identity starts with the greatness of who Christ is, his supremacy, his sovereignty, that he's the preeminent one, and that he is worthy of all of the praise of all of the universe animate and inanimate. And so John recognizes this and he says, I, I'm not even worthy to touch his feet. And his job was just to, to live to exalt the name and the person of Jesus mm. and to, to get low and humble himself before him and others. And if you do a study in the scriptures of just the role of humility and God has a way of humbling us. And it, the Bible also says that we should humble ourselves. We don't know John's backstory about how humility worked in his life. We know how his life ended in prison and then being beheaded. And at, at the end of his days, he definitely was humbled because the crowds were taken away. His ministry voice was taken away. And at the end of his life, his very life was taken away. So mm-hmm. there was there was humility there and there was a a laying down of who he was. And in all of these things that we've been talking about just in the last few minutes, self is the enemy. Hmm. Self-recognition and self-assertion and self-consciousness and self-focus. And, you know, whatever word you want to put after the word self, that those things are really our temptation. Hmm. And John gives us the ability to say, you know, this isn't about me. This is not about self. This is about Christ. And I, I delight to be his, his servant. Even, uh, just reflecting on the lie that's, you know, Satan's telling Eve in the garden that like, oh, you, God doesn't want you to have this because he knows that when you have this, you'll be like him. And it's like, well, we were already like, God made us in his image. We were already image bearers. And then Satan, Satan tries to deceive and does deceive Eve to think that like, hey, God doesn't want you to be like him. Like here, you want to be like God, don't you? Like wanting to grab that glory, wanting to be more like, like, like God and not understanding ourselves as servants. And John understood this. And, and I always love what he says there about not being worthy to tie, to untie the sandals of the Messiah because Jesus is king. So you picture this, like John's like, I'm not even worthy to be a servant of the king. Like I should be a servant of the servants of the king. You know, it's like, it's like I'm four rungs down the ladder in the servant household. And, you know, a lot of us, I think can fall into the trap of thinking ourselves of ourselves as worthy servants, Mm -hmm. you know, Hey, I'm, Mm -hmm. I'm, 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 I'm not getting what I'm owed. I'm not getting the recognition in the church that I'm owed. I'm not getting the gratitude that I'm owed from people or the praise that I'm owed. Like I'm overlooked. And I think that that is just, again, the opposite of what we're doing. We're not, we're not in this business to get an ego boost. We're not serving worship so that we can find affirmation and praise for our abilities. We're doing it because we're unworthy servants 
uh, just trying to tell other beggars where to get bread. Mm. Um, and that's the kind of example that John sets for us. And so, yeah, Rob, I, that just made me think of something that just let's remember where he came from. He was the number one New York Times bestselling yeah. spiritual author of his day. And he would have been number one on the CCLI charts if he'd been a song, songwriter. But that's the guy who's saying, I'm unworthy. Right. That's the guy who's saying, uh, I can't take credit for this mm. whatsoever. Right. And what an example that is for us. Yeah, he was the, that's, that's such a good point. Like John was, he had a following. He had a crowd of people around him and he is pointing to Jesus and his crowd is thinning out. His crowd's thinning out. He's becoming more obscure. And man, like that, what an example for us. Um, what an example that we need to follow. So what does this mean practically then? As we close, what are some practical implications for worship leaders, you know, that we can, that we can draw from this? I think we, you know, number one, let's resist celebrity status. You, you can't look, uh, you don't have to look very far to realize that celebrity pastors are all over the place. And as you said at the, at the outro, um, a lot of these people lead very difficult lives and uh, they don't always end well. <clears throat> so let's, let's resist the notion that we are somehow celebrities, you know, and it's success does that. We can, we can create this formula that says, I'm doing this, the church is growing, therefore mm. I must be responsible for it. Mm. It's easy to put ourselves as the main players in the equation. How about this? I'm being faithful with the gifts God's given me. The church is growing. And then add this, and Jesus is doing it, and therefore he gets the glory. There's, right. a, there's quite a different equation there. Yeah. And so we write ourselves out of that equation. And, you know, we work hard and we need to be faithful. And we say, and any growth, any good, Jesus is the reason for mm. that. So John was faithful. He was a faithful witness. Let's be, brothers and sisters, faithful witnesses to Christ in this culture of celebrities and great temptation. Let's push in. Let's pray that the Lord would make us people who lift the name of Jesus far higher and far greater than our own name. Mm, amen. And as we, you know, as we do our planning, as we lead our services, let's lead from a preparation and a posture of humility, literally on our knees in prayer. I think prayer is the, is the way that demonstrates that we can't do this on our own. It's not about our ability, our power. And our desire is to so not be in the way so that Christ will be seen. And then as we can point other people away from ourselves, continually to Jesus as the Spirit leads us and speak much and speak greatly of him. That's the first thing. Second one would be to know ourselves in our role. And it's it's worth a prayer saying, Lord, search search me. Know my heart and Lord, root out anything that is is glory stealing in me. Mm. Reveal hidden motives. And that's a good prayer to pray. God, am I doing this for me or for you? And no doubt in, in all of us, there's there's some of both. And part of that prayer is just to say, Lord, root out that which is still left of the flesh that is doing it for me. Forgive me, Lord. Mm. Have mercy on me, God. And and may more and more John's testimony, his his Vision for his life is mission statement. He must increase, I must decrease. Pray that prayer, understand that. And as, as we journey, as you journey in your relationship with the Lord, 
May it be that as we become more and more aware of our our struggle with sin in our flesh, that this will drive us to the cross. Mm. And as we're just made more aware that we are glory stealers, to say, Lord, do a deepening work in my heart. Mm. I think also as we pray with our teams that we say, Lord, cleanse us and purify us so that what we bring to you and what we lead to the people of God this morning is is pure. And uh, Lord, purify us so that we could be clear sign posts and be clear voices and be godly examples. And then uh, one of the things that, Rob, I've done uh, at the end of a, a service at the platform, just as the service ends, uh, would often gather the worship team and uh, to gather in a circle and to thank them for their ministry mm-hmm. and then say, Lord, we praise you for what you did today. Thank you for enabling us. Thank you, Lord, for how you touched people's lives. And God, any glory today, it is all yours. And we literally lay those crowns of praise at his feet mm-hmm. and make sure that we are understanding where our help and our hope <clears throat> comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that that kind of leads into another way I think that's practical, which is um, boast about Christ and not about yourself. You know, 2 Corinthians 10, 17, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And in fact, Paul will go on to say in the next chapter, uh, in verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast about the things that show my weakness. <laughs> it's just what a countercultural thing. Instead of drawing attention to things about myself that I want praise for, in fact, I'm going to draw attention to my weaknesses and I'm going to make sure that Jesus gets all the glory for the positive things. And I think this is, man, I think this is such an important thing in our culture because we live in a culture where everything is about building our brand and building our profile and, you know, being in a social mm-hmm. media influencer and everybody's trying to ensure their position and their brand and their security, their job security. And a worship leader's brand is mm. Jesus. That's mm. our brand. Yeah. It's, it's, we're building the brand of Jesus. We're making Jesus look great. That's why we practice. That's why we uh, search, seek for after excellence. That's why we do these things. It's not to, to make us look great. It's to make Jesus look great. We're trying to influence people to see Christ, to love Christ, to follow Christ. And so practically speaking, that means, Hey, like I shouldn't be always just trying to be the, the main leader. I should be trying to raise up other leaders in my church. And I need to be affirming constantly other worship leaders to lead well and equip them and spend time serving them and helping them become better worship leaders and pouring into young leaders and encouraging them to do these things. And the more that I pour out, the more that I affirm my other team members, and that's what I'll do at the end of a service, like you, Jody, will will pray, but then I'll, I'll just thank everybody. And I'll just be like, guys, thank you for your service. I'll always pray a little blessing, a little benediction over them because they're going back home and they're going to be tired. And I want to just make this all about Christ and then secondarily, just encouraging and blessing the people who are serving alongside. So so boast in the Lord. Uh, don't boast in yourself, I think, is a is another thing. And I love what you said about giving the mic away. Uh, I was actually sick this past weekend. That happens almost never for me that I ever miss a Sunday. And this week I was preaching and someone else had to preach in my spot. And 
one of the greatest things that can happen is that we get sidelined, I think, because we just say, you know, the Lord is building his church and this week it happened without me. <laughs> and the Lord is doing a great job and it doesn't involve me this time. <laughs> and I remember the church that you're serving at, I heard a story that a whole bunch of people came to faith in Christ in a, in a space of a couple of weeks. And the lead pastor actually was not there when it happened. <laughs> and he told the story that he boasted that all these people came to Jesus and he wasn't even there for mm-hmm. it. And those things, they humble us. And our boast is not in our ability to make it happen. Or, you know, this happened because I was at the helm. No, the Lord's saying, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build my kingdom. And mm-hmm. I may use you and I, I may not even use you. Yeah. But just remember that your boast needs to be in me. Mm. Another one I think that um, John faced that we can learn from is that we need to be prepared for the opinions of other people. Mm. Normally, when we think of opinions, worship leaders, you're, you're resonating right now with me in this because I know that you've had lots of people come up to you about that song and why did you sing it that way and why didn't you sing this other song? And you've heard them all from, uh, you know, kind of pokey to very, very difficult conversations. And we think of the criticisms and and criticisms affect us, but even the praises do as well. Mm. We have to be ready both for the uh, the opinions of people that are praising as well as the criticisms. And, uh, you know, when when we get praised, we, we can easily believe that, hey, I deserve this praise. And if, you know, if there's any exalting, uh, we don't want to to live for the exaltation of people. The, the Lord, you know, will exalt us in his mm. own way, in his own time. So... Mm. We have uh, the responsibility for redirecting praise to the Lord. And in our gratitude for God using us, for sure, we have to deal with that very, very well. So let's examine ourselves about that. And if, you know, there's successes that come, let's be, let's be quick to thank uh, God and to affirm other people's contributions uh, as they've been part of what we've been doing as well. Let's, yeah. let's transfer the glory to the Lord, as well as getting ready for the, the criticisms and making sure that um, that we react in a godly way. I always love that picture in Revelation 4 where the elders cast their throne, mm-hmm. their, their, their crowns down um, and fall on their faces before the Lamb. And I'm just like, oh man, like that's, a, that's, a, that's the, a beautiful picture of what our response should be as worship leaders, is casting mm-hmm. our guitars to the ground, casting whatever you know, we have, going, hey, this isn't yeah. about us, it's about Jesus. If I could throw one final one in, I would say that one of the ways we, we keep right, right thinking, right hearted, is that we have a heart that's faithful to serve, mm. that there is no, there's no task that is beneath us. You know, that we're the first to arrive and the last to leave and the, the first people to welcome and to thank, as you mentioned a minute ago, and expressing gratitude for our team. And your team may be four other people, it may be 44 other people, but being faithful and being an example as a servant and uh, using what God has given us, the, the leadership platform to uh, encourage other people, but also the leadership platform to help direct people's eyes to this great Savior whose glory and love is without measure. And no matter how small of a church you think you're leading, maybe your, yourself and your wife, two instruments in a small church, <laughs> then, you know, if, if you feel like this is what the Lord has given you and he has, then, then love the Lord in that and serve faithfully no matter how small or insignificant or, or unnoticed your role may be as a backup vocalist, you know, once every six weeks, the Lord sees that and he knows it and he is honored by your faithful service. 
whatever the platform God gives any of us, let's be faithful to do it with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as you read through Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, you see that these teams of singers and musicians, priests, Levites, they are ready to go. Mm-hmm. And they have been working hard and they're faithful day in, day out uh, to, to serve the Lord. We don't know their names. We don't know how hard they worked, but the Lord does. Mm-hmm. And the Lord sees you when you're serving. And the, the Father promises a blessing. Jesus said, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Mm-hmm. I think John encourages us that we should stay humble and to serve joyfully, to do what needs to be done to do what other people don't see needs to be done or what they don't want to do, and just to serve and love serving and to serve our lead pastors. We talked about that a couple of episodes ago Mm -hmm. and to do what what we need to do just to help people to see Jesus and and find Jesus. And, uh, you know, I think we can allow the Lord to determine the breadth of our influence. As long as we are staying rooted in Christ, God Mm -hmm. can grow his church as he wants, Mm -hmm. when he wants, how he wants, and he can use us in the ways that he so desires. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, uh, like John, we would just say it's been our joy. It's been our honor to serve Christ in whatever way we've been able to serve as uh, he's given us the grace. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, you know, there's there's a ton of stuff um, that uh, we can learn from John the Baptist. And so we just pray that as we've uh, taken these couple episodes to just briefly look at him. We pray it's been an encouragement to you. And uh, thank you, Jody, for uh, being on this episode. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And we'll see you again on the next episode. We pray it's been a blessing. Bye for now. Worship God is a production of the Gospel Coalition Canada. For more Christ-exalting resources, go to ca.thegospelcoalition.org.